Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Happy Friday, everybody. We've got a really, really great show planned for you today because for about two weeks I've been working on trying to tell this story and it's a story I've been wanting to tell for, quite frankly, close to two, three years now. I've been interested in telling this story and in the the eyes of the Pablo Torre-esque process, that uh, the story that was written in Philadelphia that made Sam Hinkie a cult figure and uh, grew the fan base and led to the book Tanking to the Top by Yaron Weitzman, which is a really good book. I encourage everyone to check it out. In the spirit of that, I wanted to talk about the NFL's version of the process and how the same ideas ended up fixing America's most broken sports franchise, the Cleveland Browns. And so... For today's episode of the Take It Easy podcast, I wanted to talk about the Cleveland Browns and how the process fixed one of America's most broken sports franchises. In every NFL record book, Sashi Brown will go down as the worst general manager in the history of the NFL. For a sport where success is determined rather incompletely by wins and losses, Sashi Brown had the worst winning percentage of any general manager in the history of the NFL. In his two seasons as Cleveland Browns general manager, only a 45-yard field goal caught in the December wind of Northeast Ohio prevented Sashi Brown from never winning a game in Cleveland. He officially finished 1-28 and as Brown's general manager, but colloquially, Sashi Brown is the general manager who led the Browns to a 1-31 and record, the worst stretch of football by any NFL franchise since the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost their first 26 games as an expansion franchise in the late 1970s. Yet, What Sashi Brown and now Brown's GM, Andrew Barry, whom Brown hired in Cleveland, exposed was a market inefficiency in the NFL, that while football itself is a finite game with defined rules, agreed objectives, and clear winners and losers, the NFL is an infinite game. There is no winning 
at being a GM or an NFL head coach. It's all about advancing to the next week, the next free agency, or the next scouting combine. I mean, who's ever heard of a coach that wins a Super Bowl at 50 and says, all right, I've accomplished everything, I have conquered the sport, that's it for me. There's always the next season, and those who drop out don't wish to continue in this field, which is a totally understandable reality. In infinite games, the process is far more important than any win or loss, and the Cleveland Browns process broke a 25-year drought in the NFL by simply doing things differently than they'd ever done them before. The Browns had never been the same since their franchise moved to Baltimore in 1996. The organization still hasn't won a division title since the Reagan administration. And apart from one Butch Davis playoff game in 2002, the franchise has been nothing but a doormat since Al Lerner paid $530 million to recreate the Cleveland Browns in 1998. That trend continued when Jimmy Haslam purchased a majority stake in the Cleveland Browns in 2012. It was more of the same for the Browns, a franchise with little direction that was able to win four, five, or six games. Every four or five years, the Browns would naturally accumulate enough talent, since it's almost impossible to stay bad in the NFL, to win seven games or even have a magical 10-win season with Derek Anderson at quarterback and Joe Thomas on the offensive line. Then they'd tear it down again with the guise of rebuilding when the franchise was really shedding salary to save money and be terrible, yet profitable. The Browns had some laughable, only-in-Cleveland moments with Jimmy Haslam as owner. From a homeless man convincing him to sign Johnny Manziel in 2014, to the Bengals botching an A.J. McCarron trade that would have had Cleveland trading a second and third round pick to Cincinnati, to accidentally playing porn across all of their TVs in their office. The Browns were the same dysfunctional Browns with no direction and continuing to be mismanaged for years and years. The Browns were a franchise nobody wanted to to take on. Most of their hires had to come from developing their own talent, since they were likely to get underqualified or desperate candidates from other NFL franchises. Fortunately for Cleveland, Sashi Brown was an analytical guy from the only franchise worse than the Cleveland Browns, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Brown was hired in Cleveland right after Jimmy Haslam bought the Browns in 2012. He was an underling in Cleveland during a forgettable tenure of Pat Shermer to Rob Chazinski and Mike Pettin in Cleveland. The Browns were making bonehead mistakes throughout all of those five years under those three different coaches. In 2011, the greatest draft class of the last 20 years, with players like Patrick Peterson A.J. Brown, Cam Jordan, Tyron Smith, J.J. Watt, Vaughn Miller, Cam Newton. The Cleveland Browns 
traded down and lost out on a pick that ultimately became Hall of Fame wide receiver Julio Jones. While J.J. Watt and Tyron Smith were also on the board when the Browns made the trade. They got nothing of substance in return, and it's widely regarded as one of the worst trades in NFL history. The Browns traded up to number three to pick Trent Richardson the following year in 2012. They took Barcavius Singo and Ready to Mingo sixth overall in the 2013 draft. They picked Johnny Manziel in 2014. They went from Brady Quinn to Colt McCoy to Brandon Whedon to five other quarterbacks I don't have time to name, all within a four-year period of three different head coaches. Yet still, through all of the changes, all of the incompetence, the Cleveland Browns won seven games in 2014 under coach Mike Pettin, which is a testament to the NFL's ability to legislate parity in that sport. After the 2015 season, Sashi Brown took over as the de facto general manager of the Cleveland Browns. His job title, coming off of a 3-13 season where the Browns cleared the house, was essentially just primary decision maker for the Cleveland Browns. The final call on roster moves and personnel moves would go through Sashi Brown. The Browns entered 2015 with the number two pick in the NFL draft. The Browns were very clearly in offseason one of a two to three year rebuild, a death sentence for an incoming general manager in Cleveland. What Sashi Brown did with the number two pick would come to define his tenure in Cleveland. Royally fuck things up, but make moves that reflected a process that would one day bring success to the Cleveland Browns. How long that would take was anyone's guess, and that's how the infinite game worked. The Browns may have been playing the infinite game poorly, but at least they were finally playing the right game for the first time. The Cleveland Browns had a plan. Being years away from competitive football, Sashi Brown decided to defer his draft picks to future seasons. And he had the biggest asset in the world to try and start that rebuild. The number two pick in the NFL draft. In a draft where just weeks earlier, the Cleveland Browns watched the Tennessee Titans trade the number one pick in the draft to the Los Angeles Rams in exchange for four or five picks that would end up becoming Jonu Smith, Derrick Henry, Jack Conklin, and another guy who didn't end up really working out. But still, those names end up being a huge victory for the Titans. So with knowledge that the Rams were trading up to get Jared Goff, the Browns now controlled the draft board. Cleveland traded down to number 8 with the Philadelphia Eagles. In exchange, they got the 8 pick along with an extra 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th round draft pick across the next two seasons. 
Then Sashi Brown traded down again, this time from pick 8 to pick 15 with the Tennessee Titans, who just had those picks after trading with the Rams. The Titans got Jack Conklin, and the Eagles got Carson Wentz. Cleveland ended up with Corey Coleman, whom they would cut in 2018 after he went apeshit live on the HBO program Hard Knocks, which emphatically, looking back, not great. Although it does look a little better in hindsight given that Carson Wentz's struggles, the fact he just got traded to the Colts, and the fact that, ironically, Jack Conklin, after four years, signed as a free agent with the Cleveland Browns. And he's now the star right tackle in Cleveland. So they got to right that wrong many years later when they were ready to compete. The Browns acquired five additional draft picks for that one number two pick. In exchange for moving from two to 15, the Cleveland Browns netted a first round pick from the Eagles, a second round pick from the Eagles, a third round pick from the Eagles, a third round pick from the Titans, and a fourth round pick from the Philadelphia Eagles, which is really important to remember. According to the Sam Hinkie School of Analytical Thought, nobody is smarter at drafting than anyone else in this sport. Basketball, football, whatever it may be. Everyone has their share of busts. Lots of bad organizations luck their way into Hall of Fame players. The Bills got lucky in landing Josh Allen at pick 7, but they also traded the pick that became Patrick Mahomes one year earlier. Hell, the Cleveland Browns drafted Joe Thomas in 2003. He never played a single playoff game, and he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. If the NFL draft is like a game of darts, and everyone is working with the same skill level, then your best chance of winning the game is to throw as many darts at the board as possible. Accumulate as many chances as possible is an effective strategy for rebuilding a young core through the NFL draft, which also, with the rookie wage scale, changes the way that you can build a roster under the same salary cap of everyone else. Some of them may bust, but you might find some diamonds in the rough. Sashi Brown and Jimmy Haslam were embarking on their own version of the Sam Hinkie process, and they already started by turning the number two pick, a great chance of scoring a bullseye on one throw, into six different darts, and trying to hit the bullseye or a triple 20, since that's the most valuable point in darts, six different tries instead of this one really good try. The Browns walked away with 14 draft picks in the 2016 NFL Draft. That's the most draft picks by any NFL team in a single draft in the 21st century. This was also coming off of a 2015 draft where the Browns led the NFL with 12 first round draft or sorry 12 total draft picks that would be crazy 12 first round draft picks that's 26 draft picks in a two-year span which is still to this day an NFL record the Browns turn those 14 picks into almost nothing but busts led by the two Coleman's Corey Coleman and third round pick Sean Coleman Cody Kessler 
Emmanuel Ogba, who, by the way, is still in the league. I think he plays for uh, Miami now, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be wrong. And Carl Nazib. The final two have gone on to have solid careers outside of Cleveland, just as Cleveland has picked up solid players from the scrap heap of other NFL teams. This is the process of filling out a 52-man roster in the NFL. Sometimes guys will be great on other teams, and sometimes other teams cast aside players other teams cast aside will end up being great for your team. The Browns were still trying to play the Sam Hinkie game better than any NFL team, even if none of those picks from that draft end up being higher than pick 15. And that problem was going to be fixed across the next two seasons. The infamous 1-31 run of Browns football overseen by Sashi Brown, which was the best way to turn around a professional franchise that was, for 25 years, in the dumps and failing to succeed. The best way to turn around a team that is floundering is to land, and this has been emphatically true across generations, the best way to get a team turned around is to land the number one pick in a year that a once-every-five-years talent is in the NFL draft. The Jaguars took advantage of this to perfection when they traded Jalen Ramsey, stripped the roster bare, and lost enough games to land a once-in-every-five-year quarterback talent like Trevor Lawrence, at least what's universally regarded as a once-in-every-five-year talent like Trevor Lawrence. Washington did it in 2019 when they landed once-in-five-year defensive talent Chase Young with the number two pick. And this is the big conundrum that the Cleveland Browns were facing across the past few years. And really, you could still argue the dilemma now and how we wire sports and getting talent to certain teams. The Cleveland Browns have never lost as many games as they did in 2016. And at the same time, they've never had a player as talented as Miles Garrett in their franchise history. This is the trade-off for building a young core through the draft. And if you're going to take away one of three things in the 45 minutes I'm talking here today, let this be one of those things. The Cleveland Browns have never lost as many games as they did in 2016, and they've never had a player as talented as Miles Garrett in their franchise history. And that is the trade-off of tanking. The Browns were in the market for one of those once-in-a-generation, side note, I define a generation by five years, one of those once-in-a-generation players. And odds were... If they got the number one pick twice, they were almost certain to get one of those players. So, as we mentioned before, the Browns went 1-15 in 2016, and they entered the 2017 NFL Draft with 10 draft picks, one of those set to be Miles Garrett. They had the Eagles' number 12 pick from the Carson Wentz trade, and the Titans' second-round pick from the Jack Conklin trade, along with their own draft picks. So what did the Cleveland Browns do? They traded down for even more hits on the board. 
the Texans were looking up to were looking to get a QB in the 2017 draft. After Patrick Mahomes was picked at number 10, the Texans knew they had to make a move. And so once the Saints drafted Marshawn Lattimore, the Texans parted with their number 25 pick and their first round pick in the 2018 draft to go up to number 12 and select Deshaun Watson. The Cleveland Browns used that number 25 pick to select Jabril Peppers, Peppers, then trade back up into the first round and pick David Njoku with the 28th pick in the draft. After doing business with the Texans for Watson, the Browns then engaged with the Texans again who were desperate to offload Brock Osweiler's contract of three years and roughly 40, 45 to $54 million. They attached their 2018 second-round pick to Osweiler's contract and sent him to Cleveland for a conditional seventh-round pick. The Browns used cap space they weren't going to spend as an asset, basically buying a valuable draft pick for 40 $5 million. And the Browns drafted some busts and some late round picks who end up having success on other teams, etc. But Sashi spent his bonus pick from the Titans at pick number 52 to draft the most peculiar pick of the entire rebuild. Quarterback Deshaun Kaiser from Notre Dame. What Sashi Brown did to Deshaun Kaiser's career is one of the downsides of these long process-style rebuilds. It's a moral conundrum in sports, especially in a sport where players can genuinely be hurt and the career spans of the players are so short in the NFL. Brown took Kaiser as a flyer, a bonus hit on the board where, if Kaiser got lucky, the Browns might have a solid quarterback for the future. The Browns rolled out Robert Griffin III in 2016, and they didn't have a quarterback besides third-rounder Cody Kessler on the roster next year. That was about to be changed with Brock Osweiler, but Brock Osweiler never even made it through training camp for the, Houston, for the Cleveland Browns. Kaiser was drafted and given a 15-week sink-or-swim chance in the NFL with a roster where their three best players were all rookies and had never played a game in the NFL. Deshaun Kaiser went 0-15 as Browns quarterback. Miles Garrett only played nine games in a season where their best player was Duke Johnson. They had signed no free agents, kept no holdovers from the Mike Pettin regime other than Joe Thomas, the Browns were a team of third and fourth round picks who were either rejects from other teams, soon to be on other teams, or soon to be out of the NFL altogether. It was the closest thing to a minor league football team that has ever existed. And the Cleveland Browns went 0-16, just the second 0-16 team in the history of the NFL. Sashi Brown was fired but head coach Hugh Jackson got to stay for half of next season and most of the memorable, 
hard knocks in NFL history. The Cleveland Browns were a laughingstock, and the process needed more time. John Dorsey, the fired general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs, came to reset everything to order, and I do order in air quotes, in Cleveland, which meant changing the process in Cleveland. But the good news for John Dorsey and company, Sashi Brown's process had left them with a treasure chest of assets for the 2018 NFL Draft. Remember when the Houston Texans got superstar Deshaun Watson? Watson ended up tearing his ACL in October of his rookie season. The Texans bottomed out. They went 4-12 in 2017, and their first-round pick turned into the number four pick in the NFL Draft. Remember that Brock Osweiler pick? That turned into pick number 35 in the NFL Draft, a first-round talent at second-round prices. And the Browns also had the number one pick and number 33 pick for all of their losing across the last two seasons. The Browns, if they hit right, could draft franchise-changing players at multiple positions if they hit right on some of those picks. Sashi Brown's losing and careful trading came together with John Dorsey's excellent ability to locate talent and make draft selections to create the draft class that would change the Cleveland Browns forever. Pick number one, Baker Mayfield, quarterback. Pick number four, Denzel Ward, cornerback. Pick number 33, Austin Corbett. Corbett, Corbett, hop in the jet, I jet. Sorry, I had to do that. But anyway, so he now plays for the Rams, but still, you know, solid NFL player now in year five. Number 35 pick, Nick Chubb, running back. An all-pro corner, a 1,500-yard running back, and a franchise quarterback end up turning around the Cleveland Browns' fortunes immediately. With all of that available cap space that Sashi Brown had notoriously kept free across the past two years, the Browns swindled the Miami Dolphins out of Jarvis Landry, who would go on to make two Pro Bowls in three years with the Cleveland Browns. They gave up a fourth-round pick to get Jarvis Landry. The Cleveland Browns, in their first year with this new team, went 7-8-1 in the dysfunctional Hard Knocks 2018 season. When they got to the NFL Draft, the Cleveland Browns traded their number 17 pick and Jabril Peppers who, remember, they acquired from the Deshaun Watson trade to the New York Giants for Odell Beckham Jr. The Browns were the leading pick to make the Super Bowl in Vegas going into 2019. They hired Freddie Kitchens as their new head coach, and in true Cleveland Browns fashion, everything went to shit. The Browns finished 6-10, 
Miles Garrett hit Mason Rudolph with his own helmet. Freddie Kitchens was fired, and it was every Browns team before. All their worst nightmares and laughing stocks coming back to the surface, except this time around, it wasn't the end for the Cleveland Browns. In fact, it was the beginning of something new for Cleveland. And it started with the owner who had earned a reputation as the kook that was ruining the Cleveland Browns. This is where our story takes a detour two hours south, southwest, to Columbus, Ohio. While the Cleveland Browns were enduring losing season after losing season, the Major League Soccer's Columbus crew were fighting off a relocation to Austin, Texas, which in hindsight, given the booming economy around Austin, Texas, might have been a good idea for the MLS. The economy of Columbus is built on Ohio State University, and Ohio State is their NFL and NBA teams. In the downtown, they do have this MLS team and an NHL team, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who most people forget even play in the same city as Ohio State University. But when the MLS was fighting to move their team, the city of Columbus fought back. They demanded the team sell to another owner who would be willing to invest in a new MLS stadium for the Columbus crew. And that owner ended up being none other than Jimmy Haslam. So just a little backstory on Haslam here. Haslam married into a business of trucking stops and gas pumps that, across four decades, he helped turn into a multi-billion dollar company that would later sell to Marathon. Haslam has no ties to the Cleveland area or Ohio, but the Browns were the only team he had a chance of purchasing and entering the elusive NFL circles, the ultimate boys club of all boys clubs. Why he was interested in keeping the crew in Columbus is really interesting, but we don't really know. Haslam was a very hands-off owner with the Columbus crew while trying to stay involved in the process of the Cleveland Browns. Haslam lived in Cleveland and also lived back and forth between his hometown and college town of Knoxville, Tennessee, home of the University of Tennessee Volunteers. Haslam basically told his soccer people, I'm going to help you stay in Columbus, but you do you. And then, two years into Haslam's ownership of the Columbus crew, something unbelievable ended up happening. As Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey were getting the can in Cleveland, the Columbus crew started winning, and winning a lot. But then the COVID-19 pandemic happened and the season was put on pause. When MLS restarted, the crew came back and did very well in the MLS's back tournament. They qualified for the expanded playoffs as the third seed in the Eastern Conference. They beat New York FC in the first round, while the one and two seeds, Philadelphia Union and the defending champions, Toronto FC, Lost by first-round upsets. The Columbus crew got to play new expansion franchise Nashville in the second round, and they won their matchup. 
Then they got to the finals of the Eastern Conference playing against eight-seed New England and advanced to the MLS Cup Finals. They were underdogs against two-time champion Seattle Sounders, and the Columbus crew beat the shit out of Seattle 3-0. In just their second season under Jimmy Haslam, the Columbus crew were MLS champions. The same Jimmy Haslam, who had been ruining the Cleveland Browns for years, took a hands-off approach with his MLS team, and two years in, they had an improbable championship run. And two months later, that same success would be replicated in Cleveland. The Browns under Kevin Stefanski went 11-5 last season, breaking an 18-year playoff drought in Cleveland. They destroyed longtime rivals Pittsburgh in the wildcard round winning their first playoff game since 1994. They were one Chad Henney third and 11 away from beating the Chiefs in the final eight divisional round, putting them one game away from the Super Bowl. The Cleveland Browns have a great team again, and the core of that Browns team came from the Sashi Brown draft picks, from litigious losing, and new GM Andrew Barry, who replaced John Dorsey after just one year of the old process, was behind Sashi Brown during those rebuilding seasons from 2016 to 2017, and now he gets the credit for polishing off the team in just his first season. And now, the sky is the limit for the Cleveland Browns. You heard Walter Mitchell say he thinks Cleveland is the second best team in the AFC. There are no longer talks of a team stuck in the mud. The Browns' long nightmare is a thing of the past. They started playing the right game, got better along the way, as they learned more about what this process was going to look like, and now they want to make the final push from relevancy to elite status. The Sashi Brown rebuild took a lot of winding turns, and it involved more losing and bad draft picks than anyone in NFL history. But there is no doubt that the Cleveland Browns are better off for it. They won a playoff game for the first time in 26 years. The thing about the infinite game is that we can't put a time frame on these things. For the Browns, it took a half decade to turn a corner, to get back to some semblance of relevancy in the NFL's elite. They are all about advancing in a game where others above us drop out, get fired, or choose to not continue the game. The Browns kept advancing across a half decade through five head coaches, three GMs, uh, too many mistakes for me to count in this story. Yet here they are, ready to unleash a really fun, really good team upon the NFL. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the Take It Easy podcast. Episodes are every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Uh, thank you for stopping in all throughout the week. It is so, so appreciative. Uh, and this was a really fun story that I hope y'all got to enjoy along with me.
So with that being said, everybody, take it easy. We'll talk to you again on Sunday for Wired Up episode 77. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.